verse 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. A crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast saying, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Father God, I thank you today, Lord, for your great word in Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do here today. Amen to the glory of God. You may be seated. Praise God. Let me kind of give you an idea of where we're going here this morning. We're going to talk somewhat about the redemptive portion of this passage we're going to talk about how it applies to us right now spiritually we're going to talk about how it's fulfilled ultimately okay you with me up to that point if you go to chapter 4 in verse 7 bible tells us the first beast was like a lion and the second beast was like a calf and so here we see in verse 3 of chapter 6 when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. So the second beast is the ox. And we're going to show you how it's related to this rider on the red horse. The ox speaks to you of service. We talked about Wednesday night being yoked up. And so I'm glad today I'm yoked up in Christ or with Christ. The ox speaks of service. It speaks of ministry. Fivefold ministry. It speaks of endurance. It speaks of or endurance, patience. It speaks of sacrifice. Okay? Service, sacrifice, patience, or endurance is what this particular uh, preacher speaks to us of. All right, you with me here? And it is this creature, this second beast or living creature. Is really what it is. It's not a beast. It's a living creature. The zoon, the living creatures, is calling forth the seraphim, calling forth these riders on the horses. The second beast, the ox, calls this rider on the red horse to come forth. Amen. Now, when you look at that specifically, the ox, let's go and look at some scripture here and let's get some spiritual application. <clears throat> go with me, please, to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. And in verse 4, we see in this verse something in connection with the ox. First thing we're going to talk about is the ox. All right? Sometimes, sometimes translated in the Old Testament, unicorn. Okay? Proverbs 14. In verse 4, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Okay? When you have an ox in a crib, there's maintenance. You have to maintain the ox. You understand that? A lot of people don't want to maintain the ox. They don't want to deal with the ox's stuff. You understand what I'm saying? When you, when you have to deal with the... The stuff in the crib, you understand what I'm talking about here. And they don't want to maintain the ox, and 
They don't want to deal with the ox's stuff. Hallelujah. But the Bible says that it's by the ox much increase comes. By the strength of the ox much increase comes. Let me bring it to some practical application here. It is the servant, the spirit of the servant, like the ox is a servant that brings much increase. If you want to see increase in the kingdom of God, you've got to have the spirit of the ox. Amen. If you're going to reign in the throne, you've got to have the servant aspect about you. You've got to be like the ox. Amen. Praise the Lord. In the kingdom of God, everything is just the opposite to the world. The world is untoward. Acts 2.48 says, the world is untoward. Which means it's backward. It's not toward God. The world's backward. They live everything backward. You understand what I'm saying here? They're untoward God. In the kingdom of God, to gain, you give. In the kingdom of God, you serve to reign. Totally opposite from the world. The world hoards to gain. The world holds on to everything to gain. The world climbs the ladder and pushes everybody down underneath it to rule. So if you're going to, but in the kingdom of God, it's, un, it's totally different from the world. <clears throat> People that are untoward are going the opposite direction of God's kingdom. So that everything in the kingdom of God to the flesh and to the world is the opposite. In the kingdom of God, you serve to reign. In the kingdom of God, you give to gain. Oh, do you understand what I'm saying here today? In the kingdom of God, you have to get rid of your own reputation. It's totally different from the world. The world is always trying to make a name for itself. It's always worried about its reputation. But in the kingdom of God, you have to have a servant mentality, an ox mentality, which means you've got to get rid of that reputation mentality. Trying to build your own name. You're trying to build His name. Okay? And it's only the servant that God can use because... The servant is not worried about self. The servant is focused on the Lord. Which means that at times God will ask us to do things that seem to be backward. They're untoward in the eyes of the world, but they're right in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? The world looks at it as strange. Are you with me? If you ever get in a problem financially, you know what God's answer is? Give. That's not the world's answer. You get in a problem financially and the world's answer is, oh, you better keep everything you can right now because it's a hard time. So the world is backward concerning the things of God. Amen? You know the testimony about how the Lord moved on us to give $10,000 to missions over there to help them get a building? 
We had a piece of property that wasn't moving for almost a year. We gave the 10000 like God told us to. The next week, the property was on contract. So if you ever want something to move or to happen in your life, you've got to be willing to do just the opposite of what the world tells you and just the opposite of what your flesh tells you. And that's where the servant mentality comes in. That's where trusting God comes in. Don't listen to the people in the world about how you used to live your life. They are backward concerning God. They'll never understand why you do what you do. Sometimes God will tell you to go grab the hand of somebody in a wheelchair and say, rise up and walk. And if you're worried about your reputation, that when you grab his hand, he's not coming up, or when you grab her hand, she's not coming up. If you're worried about your reputation, worried about failing, you'll never do it. God will tell you to do something that goes contrary to your ego, contrary to your nature, contrary to your reputation. Because you're worried about failing, that's when he'll tell you to go do it. He might have you stand up in the middle of a funeral service, preaching a funeral service, and speak to you and say, go tell that corpse to get out of that coffin. If you're worried about your reputation and you're worried about failing, oh my, what if it doesn't happen? What are they going to think about my ministry? What if it doesn't happen? What are they going to think about me? In fact, what are they going to think about my human saneness? Not only are they going to question my ministry if it doesn't happen, but they're going to question my human saneness, my humanity sanity. Do you understand what I'm telling you today? They'll probably call somebody up to put you in a jacket without a tie. But you see, that's the kingdom of God. That's the way it operates. You've got to have a servant mentality. You've got to stop worrying about your reputation. And if you fail, what are people going to think about it? That's where this ox mentality comes in. When God tells you to do something, just step out and do it. No matter how crazy it looks, no matter what people think, whenever David danced before the Lord... Michael looked at him as a fool. But David said this, you just thought I was a fool. When I danced before the Lord, you thought I was a fool then. You haven't seen anything yet. And the Bible said he danced himself naked before God. So it always goes contrary to the flesh, to the world. They think you're crazy when you dance. They think you're crazy when you run. They think you're crazy when you shout. Because they're backwards concerning God. So you've got to have the ox mentality in order to succeed in the kingdom of God. If you don't, you'll always be untoward God. You'll be backwards concerning God. Always worried about your reputation and trying to live your life like the world. All right? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 20. Let me give you some of these verses. Matthew 20. Is this helping anybody here today? 
Matthew 20, verse 20. Let me prove it to you, what I'm saying. Hallelujah. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> That's where the conflict is. The world in your flesh tells you to do it a certain way. God says, I tell you to do just the opposite. And that's where the struggle is. That's where the conflict is. Praise God. Matthew 20, 20. Then came to him. Now, I'd like to call this passage here 2020 vision. This is having proper vision. Matthew 20, 20. It says, Then came he unto him, to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Say kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with they say unto him we are able what the Lord says is this it's going to take some sacrifice to be to to get what you just request it's going to take some sacrifice he said are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with are you able to suffer like I'm going to suffer it's going to bring some sacrifice watch it's going to take some sacrifice that's what the ox speaks of, sacrifice and service. Now watch. He saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to him for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. So we see connected here, service and sacrifice is connected with the ox, and that's how you're going to reign in the throne, in the kingdom of God. Is having that ox mentality or sacrifice and service mentality. Are you here right now? Okay, let's go to Matthew 10. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go to Matthew 23. Let's do that. Matthew 23. I mean, I love the Lord today. <clears throat> Praise God. Verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Totally opposite concerning the things of the world. You with me here? How many of y'all believe that? Go to Philippians 2. You're going to reign. This is the answer here. Philippians 2, let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, the Bible says this. Verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That would change a lot of things in the church. If things were not done through strife or vainglory. 
strife is. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to get, I'm going to, yeah. And then vain glory is seeking to exalt yourself. Amen. That's vain glory. See, there's a lot of things that go on in the church that are not the servants, not the ox. It's to, it's to get back at somebody. It's to, you know, to, yeah, and to, to glorify the self and the flesh. And you understand what I'm saying here. But then he goes on, he says this in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in, also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Can you imagine that? That God himself came down into a lower realm to a lower realm and God himself became a servant God serving losing his reputation Jesus did it Bible says what's this being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now he also says, not only in the form of a servant, he was made in the likeness of men. Can you imagine that? God coming down in the form of a man into that lower realm and then walking as a servant, God himself. Then the Bible says this, wherefore, he was obedient to the death, even the death of the cross, that speaks of the ox there. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. If you want to be exalted, let God exalt you. If you want to be exalted, take on the role of a servant. Learn to serve. Learn to get rid of your reputation. And then God will exalt you. See, here's the thing about it. If you exalt yourself, you rise up the ladder yourself, you might increase. You might have a higher position. But those that you run with who have exalted you, when you cross them, if you ever cross them, then you lose your position. So depending on how high you went, without God in this depends on how far you have to fall so you don't want anything to do with self exaltation or being exalted by people if God is not in it because if God is not in it those that put you there when they pull the rug out from underneath you you're going to fall a long ways the higher you are You understand what I'm saying? That's why you cannot look to men to be the answer for your position and placement. If you do, you're making a great mistake. Are you with me? But if the Lord Jesus Christ exalts you, if He raises you up, then you're going to be there. Hallelujah. 
And I would rather be a humble servant in the Lord God than to be recognized all over the world because there are people who have ministries that rise up very quickly, very rapidly. But then they fade off the scene after a while. I'd rather be a humble servant in the kingdom of God than to be all over the world today if God is not in it. If God is in it though, He will exalt your singing ministry. He will exalt, come on. He'll raise you up. He'll make room for your gift. If you try to make room for your gift, you will fall no matter how high you are. It's going to depend on how far you fall. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you here today? So you want God to open the doors. You don't want to try to push the doors open yourself. You want God to open the doors. And when he opens the door, walk through it. Amen. As if he don't open the doors and other people open them for you, they can close them just as fast. But if God sets you, there's nobody that can take you down. You've got to keep the mentality of the ox. Because if you don't, you're going to do it like the world. You're going to try to succeed. The ways of the world. Manipulation and control. And I'm talking about in a satanic type of way here. Not a godly type of way. And you'll come collapsing down and wonder what in the world happened to you. Are you here with me today? See? And that's why sometimes I'm slow with some of you. You've got great talent and great ability. And God's going to use you greatly in the kingdom. But I don't move you fast. I don't move you quick. Because if we do, then you're going to come down fast. And it's got to be God. It's got to be placing you there. And it's got to be God opening the doors for you. It's got to be God closing the doors. If it's not God, you're coming down. And great is the fall thereof. That's why you've got to have the servant mentality. You've got to say, God, I'm not worried about my reputation. I've got a call in my life. I'm going to fulfill that call, Lord. I don't care what people think. I don't care how they respond. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference, God. This is about you. I'm sold out to God. I'm a servant of the Lord. First and foremost, and then a servant to the people of God. Do you understand these things? And yeah, I mean, surely you could probably have a bigger church if you built it the way the world builds things. But if you build it God's way, it's going to be a sure, strong thing. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? If we wouldn't preach certain things, we would have a bigger church, to be honest with you. If I didn't stand up and just give you the pure word of God, there'd be a lot of people be here today. We would grow and grow and grow and have a good time, so-called good time. And we are called to be servants of the Lord, not worrying about our reputation, not worrying about what people think. We've got to go forth and do what God tells us at all times. Which means if it's accepted by men or not, doesn't make any difference. Okay? Because we are the servants of the Lord. We're ox. We're ox. That's why God calls the ministry ox. You can't worry about your reputation. You can't worry about things like that. You can't worry about what people think. You can't worry about any of that stuff. You just got to do what God tells you to do. You understand these things. Give the Lord praise. And, and in Peter, the Bible tells us, and Peter, I just love Peter because he, he takes this, this message of servanthood and he applies it. Read the, read the epistles of Peter. And he says that God will exalt you in due time. In due time. You've got to wait on God's due time. 
It might look like that you're completely forgotten. You might feel like that you're forgotten. That God doesn't even remember you anymore. But he will exalt you in due time. Not always in your time or my time. But in due time. The right time is when God does it. So just be content to be hidden in the house. Just be content to be hidden in the house. Because if you come out too fast out of the house, there's some enemies out there that are set to kill you. So just be hidden in the house. Amen? Praise God. Learn to be happy with that. And understand that's a good thing. That's God's protection in your life. Nobody knows you right now. That's a good thing. Nobody knows about your gifting. That's a good thing. Nobody knows about your ministry. That's a good thing right now. Stay hidden in the house. God will take you out when it's time. And it will be the right time. Amen. Are you here with me? Because sometimes when you get up there, you don't realize the stuff in the crib. And there is stuff in the crib in connection with the ox in service. And so when you get there, that stuff in the crib can really take you down. So you've got to be, make sure that God's told you to do it. Or do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of stuff you don't know about that comes along with the ox and the service and living for God. All right. Amen. How many of y'all love Jesus today? <laughs> Praise God. So it is the ox that come this second living creature that calls for the red horse. And this red horse comes forth. It's got a sword. And the Greek word sword there, machara, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, machara, makara, it literally means the sword of a sacrificial animal. Did you catch that? So it is the patient, enduring, servant, ox-like nature that caused this rider on the red horse to come forth. And this rider on the red horse has got a sacrificial knife in its hand. It's like a dagger. It's like, it's a knife. In fact, Genesis, I believe it's 22, when Abraham goes to kill Isaac, who God said, offer to me. Oh, man. Can you imagine Abraham walking up and saying, hey, God just told me to sacrifice my son. Can you imagine the community? That man's lost his mind. No, he's lost his reputation. He's doing what God's told him to do. And he's, going, he's willing to lay down his only son to prove his devotion to God. Totally backward in the eyes of the world. But the, the world lives backwards to God. In fact, if you look at the word evil, E-V-I-L-E, evil, E-V-I-L, yes, thank you God for helping me spell. Evil, evil, praise the Lord, if you spell it backwards, means to live. So when you live backwards to God, it's evil. That's what evil is. It's living backwards to God, all right? And so when Abraham obeyed God, he took his son and offered him there. I guarantee you, God says, kill him. 
There's life in that. And everybody, I'm sure, in the community, we're talking about how crazy Abraham was. And his wife, I'm sure, is talking about how crazy he was. There's a conflict, I'm sure. But he heard from God, and he's going to do what God tells him. No matter what anybody thinks, the way the world looks at it. Because the way the world looks at it is backward to God anyway. And the way they live is evil. Because they're untoward God. And so he takes up Isaac, and he lays him down on the altar, and he lifts up the Septuagint translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Makara, the knife, the knife of sacrifice. He's about to bring down that very knife, that very sword, Revelation 6, and kill his son, and God stops him right there. He was just testing Abraham to see if Abraham was really going to serve him or not. Testing Abraham's heart. You understand? And so in Revelation 5, let's go to Revelation 5. Revelation 5 in connection to this sword. Verse 6. In verse 5, chapter, six, five, chapter 5, verse 6, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Say slain. Revelation 6, it says this. It says when he takes that take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. The word kill there is the same word that is used concerning the Lord, the lamb being slain. Okay? Watch this. When it says this horse goes forth and it kills, it's connected to a sacrifice. It's connected to a killing of the sacrifice. It's connected to... To the Lamb of God. He fulfills the second seal. He is the one that was sacrificed for us. He is the one that was slain by that sword on the cross. So this rider on the red horse has a redemptive fulfillment in the days of Jesus on the cross. He was the one that was slain by that sword that that rider is carrying. The word kill in Revelation 6 is the same word that's used for slain in Revelation 5 in connection to the Lamb. When this rider goes forth, the sword in its hand to take peace from the earth and to kill, that each other would kill, that people would kill each other. And also it says in uh, Revelation 6, in the fifth, concerning the fifth seal, verse 9, when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So this rider that goes forth, this sword there, that is used to kill is a sacrificial weapon. It is connected with Jesus' crucifixion, and then it's connected with the martyrdom of his body. So that when you see this rider ride forth in the future, there is going to be a sacrifice that's going to be made. Number one, it's fulfilled in Jesus' days when he was crucified, he took the sword and was the sacrifice, fulfilling the type of Isaac. And then in the future, there's going to be a sacrifice of the people of God. And the Bible says, if you're going to read this, that these souls that had been slain were underneath the altar of God. Leviticus says that the blood was poured out at the foot of the altar. The blood of sacrifice poured out at the foot of the altar. And these martyrs are seen under the altar. So their lives were not wasted when they died they died sacrificially, and with their life, they worshipped God. 
You get the point here. So when you see this rider ride forth, then it is fulfilled in the days of Jesus with his death. Future, it will be fulfilled in the martyrdom of his people. And if it happens to be you or I, that martyrdom will be under the altar there. The souls will be under the altar. It's a place where the blood was poured out, a place of sacrifice, and a place of worship to the throne. It wasn't wasted. Okay, now hear me very carefully here. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? You understand what I'm trying to show you here? Okay. This sword then speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of great persecution that's going to come upon the people of God. It is a picture of what Smyrna depicted. Smyrna, in the days of Smyrna, great persecution. But in the future, Smyrna depicts, on the great, depicts the great persecuted church that's going to be in the earth, that's going to be slain for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? So this horse doesn't just speak of war, but it speaks of martyrdom. Martyrdom. Now, let me just deal with the spiritual application of it right now. When this rider comes forth now, he comes forth to take peace from our earth. Watch it. Revelation 6. Get there and look at it, please. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. They should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Right now, this rider rides forth in your life. It rode in the days of Jesus, at Jesus' crucifixion. It rode in the days of Abraham, in a sense. It's going to ride in the future with great martyrdom of the church. But right now, it's riding in your life. Okay? Because this sword not only represents sacrifice, but it represents the Word of God that kills us. And it is the Word of the living God that kills your flesh. It's the Word of God that kills anything that is contrary to Him in your life. It is the Word of God that deals with any relationship that is not of God in your life. If you walk contrary to the Word of God, you will not have peace in your life because the Word of God will make sure that your peace is taken. Let me talk about this to you. Let's go with me, please, to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Say Matthew 10. <clears throat> this is the way the Lord deals with the man of sin that's inside of us. It's the way He will deal with the man of sin in the ultimate sense in the future, the Antichrist. Okay? The Word of God. Word of God is likened to a sword. Matthew 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. Jesus said, when I come forth, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. He didn't come to bring peace to your earth man. He didn't come to bring peace to your fallen man. He didn't come to bring peace. The Bible said that right on the red horse is going forth and it's taking peace from the earth. 
He said, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not to send, I came not to send peace, but a sword. You think that when you walk with God, that everybody in your family is going to love you and everybody in the world is going to love you and everybody in the church is going to love you? Wake up. Hello. It's not a fact. Watch this. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I'm going to tell you something. If we move into the times of the ultimate fulfillment of this passage of Revelation 6 of martyrdom, I am going to tell you what is going to be the greatest surprise to you is when you're, the person that sits beside you in the pew turns you in. When your family members betray you and turn you in. Can you imagine that? See, I can handle it if somebody in the world, an enemy in the world, betrays me and turns me in. But he said, my enemies are going to be they of, the, of my own household. Not, not just the, the physical house of the family, but that's the church household too. If we move into that time of martyrdom, People who were in church with you at one time and maybe still are will be the ones who betray you and turn you in. In fact, today, some of you have family members that are in the church with you who betray you. They betray God. They don't walk with God. There's a conflict in the home because they're carnal and they're lukewarm and they're fleshly. And you're trying to live for God and lose your reputation and lay down your life and serve Christ. But they want the world. And so there's a sword drawn in your house. And God has come into your house. And he's taken peace from your home. Because either you or that other person doesn't want to walk with the word of God. But walks contrary to the word of God. And because they want to walk contrary to the word of God. God has written into that house. And he's taken peace from that home. There's a conflict. You're saying, this can't be God. Oh, really? He said, I didn't come to bring priests. He said, I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a division. Those who walk with me and serve me are going to have enemies. It's going to be they of their own household. I told my wife this morning, I said, you know what? I said, the greatest surprise I think the church is going to experience is when people that used to sit beside them in the pews are the ones that turn them in. Ones that betray him. Own family members. Betraying him. See, God comes. He's going to bring a division, man. This ain't no God. Jesus, he didn't come playing games. He came in this world with a sword in his hand. He came riding forth on a red horse with a sword in his hand. Bringing division between family members. Fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws. and Enemies are going to be of your own household. The only peace that can, true peace that can ever come to you is found in God. So what he's going to do is he, he rides forth in your life today and he kills relationships. 
He kills relationships that hinder a relationship with him. Hearing me, are you? You don't believe this because you've never heard it preached. Well, maybe you have. That's the way he comes in your life. And so if there's any relationship or there's anything that's contrary to the Word of God in your life, the Lord is coming in there with His sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Ephesians calls it, Ephesians 6 says it's the sword of the Spirit. Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. He comes in there, man, and He just tears it up. He, I said He tears it up. And you're over here casting out devils. Say, get thee behind me, Satan. And it's not the devil at all. It's God riding into your house, taking peace from your life. Because you're walking contrary to his word. And anytime you walk contrary to his word, you will never have peace in your life. No matter of money will bring you peace. No matter of no matter of position or prestige or acceptance by the world will bring you peace. Only God can bring you peace. And so anything that you're trying to find peace in other than Him, He comes in here to make sure that you don't have peace. He comes like a thief in the night. And a thief comes to take away the conditions for peace. You can't walk around and say, well, there's a deity behind me, Satan. No, no, no. Are you rightly related to the Word of the living God? If not, there's a sword drawn to take peace from your earth. He's going to ride into your life and take peace from your earth. Hello, somebody. And I know a lot of you don't like to hear this, but this is the word of the living God. This is the way that God deals with that man of sin. In fact, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Praise the Lord. Y'all hearing this word today? Praise God. This is, can you receive this? Hard sayings of Jesus. A lot of people focus on the, the so-called easy sayings of Jesus. What about the hard sayings of Jesus? Where he requires a sacrifice on your part. He comes in like a sword, taking peace from our earth. 2 Thessalonians 2. <clears throat> Watch this. This is the way that he deals with the man of sin in us and then ultimately in the future. Praise God. Y'all all right out there? Just give me an amen every once in a while so I know I'm not here by myself. Okay, thanks. Chapter 2, verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together in Him, that you be not shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He's the only one who can bring peace to your life. I want to tell you something. You could be in a prison cell right now. But if you're right with God, you've got peace. You can have all kinds of trouble breaking out all around you today. But if you have God, you have peace. I'm talking about an absence of peace is not having God in your life. 
and walking contrary to his word always brings confusion. Always brings a sword. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of the Lord. Shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. With me here? Who opposeth and exalteth himself, contrary to the ox. Above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, or that he is God. So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Spirit of his mouth. Watch this, that speaks of the word of God. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Who is he? The son of perdition. He comes today with a sword drawn, the spirit of his mouth, to deal with the Antichrist, or what? The man of sin inside of you. The son of perdition. You know who the son of perdition is? It's all people who go away from God. Anybody who goes away from God is a son of perdition. Go to Hebrews. Thank God for the word of God that goes forth. The breath of his mouth. Who deals with the perdition. The son of perdition. And deals with the man of sin inside of us. In fact, Judas Iscariot was called the son of perdition. Hebrews 10. Verse 30, 39 says, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're not like the backslider who backs away from God, who goes away from God. They are sons of perdition. And God's word comes forth as a mighty sword dealing with the sons of perdition. Those who would go back away from God. But this man, this writer says, but we believe unto the saving of the soul. So thank God for his word because that's through his word, through his sword. He comes and he takes peace from the son of perdition. So if you go away from God, you have no, listen, you have no choice but to have God ride forth with a sword in his hand, the word of God, and take peace from your life. That is what's going to happen. He deals with the son of perdition. Those that go away from God. See that? Say praise the Lord. Isaiah 48. <laughs> See, I think if I would believe the word of the Lord today, that I'm going to walk with God. And I'm not going to walk contrary to his word. Because I don't want all kinds of conflict and war and, and all kinds of that sword coming in my life and, and taking peace from my earth. There's no way, knowing what you know, that you can go out in the world and be a son of perdition or a daughter of perdition. There's no way that you could go out there and ever have peace. There's no way. 
Because his word will keep dealing with that perdition. His word will keep dealing with that sin. His word will keep dealing with you. And he'll keep coming and taking, making sure like a thief, he comes and takes the peace out of your life. I think I'll go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Are y'all loving the Lord today? 1 Thessalonians 5. Man, I'm going to go on to know the Lord, aren't you? Yeah, there's a war. Yeah, there's a struggle. There's supposed to be. He's, he's at war with my fallenness. See, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I live in war all the time. But as long as I'm walking with God, I've got peace in the midst of the war. See, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is being rightly related to God. If you're rightly related to God, all hell can come against you. All kinds of division in home and in relationships. Things that hinder your relationship with God can be severed. And you just keep on living for God. Praise the Lord. While I'm flipping through the Bible, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only place you're going to find peace. You just open right up to that place. Right there in Romans, just open right up to it. Didn't even have to look for it. Right there. First Thessalonians. Woo! Praise the Lord. Chapter 5. Watch this. For the times and seasons, brethren, I have you have no need that I write unto you for yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day, what? The day of the Lord should overtake you as a thief. When they say peace and safety, when the world says peace and safety, when the sons of perdition say peace and safety, Matthew 24 says, when it, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. But they're going to walk around, those who are perdition, sons of perdition, who've gone away from God saying, I've got peace. I'm safe and secure. But when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. As a woman in travail with, with child. With me here? That's heavy stuff. So just because people in the world walk up to you, you go to a family reunion and they make it look like everything's wonderful. I've got to stay up here so I don't wash out. They walk up, how you doing? And you look at them and it looks like they're just so having such a good time and they're doing so good in life. It's a mask. I said it's a mask. It's a facade. It's a lie. They have great conflict in them. They have no peace. Isaiah 48, God says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The wicked don't have peace. The backslider doesn't have peace. I don't care how they come and appear to you. They don't have peace. You cannot have peace without God in your life. He'll make sure of it. He'll come as a thief. 
to take peace from your earth. what it says for yourself no further that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night when they shall say peace and safety so that thief comes and rides in there to take peace from their earth so I'm trying to tell you that they can say peace they can say prosperity they can say security but without God it's not reality God won't let it be a reality. He won't let you live your life without Him and have peace. Especially if you know the Word of God. You go out there and party and dance and have a good old time and pop the top and drink. Go off and, you know, kind of twist off and go drink you one. Nobody knows about it in the church. You're sitting in the church. Your life is so miserable. There's, listen, there's nobody more miserable than those who know the Word of God and don't walk in it. I'm going to prove it to you in Isaiah 28. If I get there, Isaiah talks about it. He talks about the bed. The bed speaks of rest and it speaks of peace. And he talks about to understand the matter is vexation of spirit. Just to understand the Word of God doesn't bring you peace. You've got to walk in the Word of God. Because if you understand the Word of God and are not walking in the Word of God, it brings great vexation of spirit. knowledge you know the word of God inside and out but if you're not walking in it you have vexation you know why because that word has become a sword to take peace from your earth because you're walking contrary to that word thank God for that so I'm going to encourage some of you mothers have young your, your young teenagers coming to church you see them going to drift a little bit seeing them kind of sowing their wild oats a little bit let me just tell you something they know too much of the Word of God to have peace in their life. And they might for a little while twist off. But I guarantee you, they, they, praise God, you train up a child in the way, his, way, in the way he should go, and he'll not depart from it when he's old. As that Word of God just takes peace from his earth, man. Keeps dealing with it, keeps talking to him, keeps shaking him, keeps stealing everything in his life, all the conditions that would bring him satisfaction. I, 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 amen. I was raised at a church, a little boy, went to a certain church, went off into the world. And what little I didn't know, I didn't even have all the truth. What little I did know, next my spirit. Oh, they're partying, acting like I'm having a good time. Whole time miserable as I could be. Just that little bit that I did know was vexing my spirit. Oh, what if Jesus comes and you're over here partying? Ah! Yeah, just that little bit I knew was talking to me. God's Word just keeps on talking to us. Exing us, dealing with us. Sitting there. You know, I don't want to get too graphic here because that's my old life. It's just dead and gone. But sitting there, you know, partying in a certain way. And the conversation between me and my buddy goes straight to God. We're talking about the rapture, the tribulation, the mark of the beast. I'm over here out of my mind. Talking about God. Isn't that interesting? A little bit I did know was a sword coming to take peace from my earth. So you might as well just surrender to God, man. Because you're not going to find peace outside of God. Because He's going to come as a thief in the night. 
Let's go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 7. Look at this verse. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Verse 8, chapter 59 of Isaiah. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Is God? That's what God said. You don't find peace outside of God. Isaiah 48, back up there. 48, 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. No peace. One place the prophet Isaiah says, The way of the transgressor is hard. Is hard. They're going to appear like, everything's wonderful. Hey, you doing? Doing good? Praise God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told somebody the other day on the telephone, I said, it might look for a little while like everything's a little bit easier for you because you surrendered. You don't have, so you're not in war because you laid down the weapon. You surrendered in the fight. And because you surrendered in the fight, it's going to look like everything's okay for you. But just give it time. And I said, you are making a fatal mistake. And I am warning you. I am warning you. You're making a fatal mistake. For a little while, it looked like everything's okay. But you just wait. Because you can't walk contrary to the Word of God and the will of God in your life without a sword coming there. Without reaping something in life. It's impossible. Impossible. That's what the Word says. Praise the Lord, y'all. Colossians 1.20. Let's go over there. Colossians 1.20. But thank God we can find peace in Him. But I'm trying to show you that anything that's not a him, he's going to come and take peace from your earth. Colossians 1.20, and i got about 20 minutes to finish this. Long ways to go. This got started. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinance? Okay. No, that's wrong. 120. And having made peace, Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The only peace you're ever going to find is in God. And he's going to make sure of it. Because he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. And any relationship or anything in your life that goes contrary to him, he's going to ride in on a red horse. The word red is literally a fiery red horse. He's going to ride in a fiery red horse right straight, straight down. How could I preach this? Because he's ridden in my life at times. Man, I got a, I got a, a fallen man in me. I got a son of perdition nature in me. God has to come in and ride and phew, deal with that. Praise the Lord. Let's go over to Song of Solomon. Woo! Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You look at people who, you, who used to walk with Jesus. Who know the truth. Look at their lives. How miserable and tore up. And demonic they are. Confused. 
unhappy, miserable. Look at him. You don't want to be like your mama who backslid. You don't be like your daddy who didn't live for God. No, 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 no. There's a death that takes place. There's a martyrdom that takes place when Jesus comes in. Oh, yeah. Okay, Song of Solomon. Let me show you something real quick. Where'd the time go? Where did the time go? Song of Solomon, chapter 3. By night on my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. You know why she didn't find him? Because she was doing it her way. See, she wanted God on her terms. Here's the mistake of the church. The mistake of the church is seeing Jesus in such a way that he is hard up for people. Follow him. And that he will accept you and me on any condition. That he will accept me on my terms because he is just so hard up to have followers. <laughs> That's the mistake of the church. You will never find him on your terms. You'll never find him on your bed. You'll never find him doing it the way you want to do it. You'll never find peace in your bed. He makes you uncomfortable in your bed. Which speaks of peace and rest. Never find it. She couldn't find it. By night on my bed, I sought him whom I so loved. I sought him, but I found him not. Say, on my bed. She's, she's on her bed. She's in her own peace, in her own rest. When you go to bed, that's a time of peace. Should be. It's when you will lay down your weapons. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets. The city speaks of the church here. In the streets and the Broadway. She said, I'm going to try the Broadway. The Broadway leads to destruction. I told that man on that phone, I said, yeah, that's right. Only few are on the straight way. And the majority of people are on the Broadway. You choose the Broadway, you know. You're in, you're in a large crowd. I said, not everybody can live it. You say it's hard. Yes, it's hard sometimes. Not everybody can live it if they would. They would be on the road. They would be on the straight and narrow. If everybody was willing to lay down their life, they'd be on the straight and narrow. But everybody's not willing to lay down their life, so the majority of people are on the Broadway that leads to destruction. And this Shulamite here, <clears throat> she said she went into the Broadways. Couldn't find him in the Broadways. You'll never find peace and rest in the Broadway that leads to destruction. Can't find him on your terms. You gotta find him on his terms. The watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? There was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. Held him, would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her that conceived me. Chapter 1 says, finally, she says, Our bed is green. It's no longer just my bed. And it's no longer just his bed. 
but it's our bed. I'm in this with him together and I'm walking with him. I'm not contrary to him. I'm not in the broad way now. Look at her. She's just uncomfortable in the night. She's just don't know what to do with herself. Frantic, crazy. Hello, church. See, I love the word of God. The word of God is like a knife. It's like a sword. Let me just talk to you a little bit. Running out of time. But let me just talk to you just a little bit about when God rides into your life to take peace from your earth. You're not going to find it in the broadways. You're not going to find it on your terms. And sometimes God will let frogs come in your peace. He'll let frogs come in your bed. The days of the time of the Exodus, God let frogs go into the beds of the Egyptians. Those frogs speak of demonic spirits. You begin to sleep with demonic spirits. So there's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Spirits speak to you. They, they, they come to you, see them. No peace. Let me explain something to you. I, I keep going back to this brother and I pray that he makes it back. I'm not against him. I pray he makes it back. I'm just telling you he made a fatal mistake. And I'm just telling you this. He said, well, we're going to keep living for God but not go to church. I said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't have the body of Christ and the Jesus separate. When do you ever get the thought you can have a bo- a bo- his body separate from him? He's the head. Now I'm fixing to show you something about this headless body in just a minute. But I, he was saying these things. And you know, they always try to make it look good. Make excuses as to why they're doing what they're doing. And I, a brother, I just happened to mention to it, you know, not, not gossiping, but, you know, just in concern. Because I know this brother loves this man. And he said, you know what? He said, this brother picked up a, a joint and smoked a joint not long ago. He found it in his house. And since then, he hadn't seen nothing but demons. Souls tormented. <laughs> You're not going to find peace without God. Frogs will come in your bed. They'll sleep with you at night. I saw a brother I personally went to God years ago. Backslide away from God. Go away from God. Demon powers got ahead of him, uh, hold of him. Man, when he was in the church, he looked fine cut, you know, clean cut. When he walked back into church, having been backslid away from God, he looked like the demoniac. His hair was long, curled up, fine tight curls. Look like just exactly what the demoniac look, would look like in my in my mind. And I used to talk to him on the phone. He said, he told me, Brother Jerry said, when you would talk to me on the phone, he said, my spirit was tormented. He said, I knew I was wrong. He said, I couldn't sleep at night. I acted like everything was okay, but I was tormented. We better praise God that we're where we are today. We better praise God that we're still in the house of God. That we're still walking with Him. By the grace of God we are. You have no idea when you go into the Broadway. Them spirits, them frogs begin to sleep with you at night. First Samuel 19, I'll give you another example of things that take peace from your life. Demons take peace from your life. First Samuel 19 idolatry when David slipped out they put an idol in his place in his bed an idol in the place of his bed idolatry takes peace from your life are you with me here 
I said, are you with me here? Let's go to 2 Samuel. That was 1 Samuel 19. Let's go to 2 Samuel. I don't have time to look at all of these. Hallelujah. Things that take peace from your life. Let's start there in verse 3. And the Barathites fled to Gittan, and with soldiers were there until this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame at his feet. He was five years old. Let's go on down. Verse 5. And the sons of Ramon, the Berathot, Rechab, and Bunai went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on the bed at noon. Say, on the bed at noon. Again, the bed speaks of rest and peace. And they came thither into the midst of the house at, as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib, and Rechab and Bunai, his brother, escaped. But when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber. And they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. This speaks of a man who's headless in his bed. What that speaks of is a person who tries to find peace without the Lord's Lordship. They want Him to be Savior. But they don't want Him to be head. They want Him, they, they want him to be a headless body. No Lordship. No Jesus telling them what to do. No authority in their life. Headless. And that brings a lack of peace in your life. When you see a, a headless man in his bed here, it speaks of a headless body. Come on. The head being separated from the body. These people say, I'll serve the Lord, the head, but I won't follow the body. You can't separate the two. You won't have peace in your life. You're trying to, you're trying to have a headless body. He won't, he's not Lord in your life. It also speaks of, now listen to me in, in a proper sense. God has set men over your life. Not to Lord over you. But they are set men who are to rule. Obey them that have the rule over you. If you seek, come on, to have a headless body then what you do is you seek to take valid ministry out of your life. If you ever take valid ministry out of your life, you will have no peace. It's impossible. Can't separate the two, my friend. Are you here? I said, are you here? And I don't have time to go through all these. Just study sometime the bed. Um... Isaiah 28, I need to do this one for sure. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, praise the Lord. And while you're turning to Isaiah 28 and 1 Kings, I believe it's 21, thereabouts, sometime read it. There's a man by the name of Ahab. He don't have peace. He goes and lays in his bed. Are you with me? And has a pity party. Anytime. You ever get in a pity party, you will lose your peace. Ahab lays in a bed, supposed to be a place of peace and rest, but because he's full of self-pity, there's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You get full of self-pity, that thing can take you right out of the kingdom of God. So he's a man full of self-pity, sucking his thumb, joined to a harlot. 
Jezebel. That'll take peace from your life. You get self-pity in your life, you get joined to a harlot. You ain't going to have no peace. Jezebel walks in there and says, what wrong, honey? What's the matter, babe? What's got you down? Naboth won't give me his vineyard. I'll get it. Why won't you eat bread, hon? Naboth won't give me his vineyard. I'll get it for you. Self-pity will take peace from your life. Isaiah 28. <clears throat> Woo! Ha! Hallelujah! Yeah, this is good. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. I know I'm no Jakes. I know I, I don't try to be no Jakes. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Praise God. Verse 15, Isaiah 28. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death. The wages of sin is death. You make a covenant with sin. You make a covenant with sin. Make a covenant with death. And with hell. Are we at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through. If you make a covenant with sin. Death. And a co an agreement with hell. God is going to send an overflowing scourge in your life. The scourge is coming. The rider on the red horse is coming. And he's going to bring scourge. It shall come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. They're saying peace and safety. Made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Have our own covering. Got our own covering. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And the hell shall sweep away the refuge of lies. God going to send hell to your life. <laughs> H-A-I-L. And that hell is going to sweep the refuge of lies. He's going to get rid of the lie out of you. Lord have mercy. This is the word of God, man. This is not Pastor Carter. This is the word of God. He shall sweep away the lies, the waters shall overflow in the hiding place, and your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then you shall be trodden down. For the time that, is, that it goeth forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over, by day by night. It shall be a vexation only to understand the report. You don't walk in it just to understand it. You've heard it. Vexation. You've got to walk in it. Now, what does he say? For the bed... Is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it and the covering narrow than he can wrap himself in it. God said He's gonna make you uncomfortable on your bed. You're not gonna have any peace in your life, no peace in your bed. Overflowing scourge is gonna come into your life. And to know these things is gonna be a vexation to your spirit because you won't walk in it. You have palsy today? You know the word, but don't walk in it. Palsy. Let me go on. I've, I've got to go on. Is that, that's enough. I think that's enough to let you know things that could come and take peace in your life. I, woo! 
And he uses that sword, man. He uses that word. I know when I got God back in me. I know when I got God back in me. God don't back me. I, I told my wife the other day, if God don't back me, I, ain't, I don't even want to be in the ministry. God's not there. I don't even want nothing to do with it, man. Amen? Okay. Yeah. Where we go here? Okay. Let's do this. Let's go to Revelation 6. And let's talk about an ultimate fulfillment. Okay? Okay. I got five minutes to do that. Matthew 24, the Bible says, There shall be wars and rumors of wars. It parallels this rider on the red horse. Okay? In an ultimate sense, God is going to let this rider come forth on a red horse. Rabbinic scholarship says this. When you see a horse tethered in Israel, look for the footsteps of Messiah. When you see a horse tethered in Jerusalem, look for the footsteps of the Messiah. Particularly, they say that the horse will be tethered or tied to a grave. These horses are riding forth, okay? They're coming. The ox is calling forth this rider on the red horse. The first horse, white horse, speaks specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the true white horse rider. But the alternate view is the rider of the Antichrist coming forth. Matthew 24. When this rider on the white horse, the counterfeit Christ, rides forth. Hang with me. He offers peace. Daniel 8 says, by peace he shall destroy many. So he comes forth offering peace to the world, but that peace is short-lived with the rider on the red horse. Okay? This rider on the red horse speaks of Jesus' work on the cross, but let me deal with the ultimate right now. When it comes forth, that short-lived peace that the Antichrist has offered the world, because there's no peace without God. There's no peace without the true white horse rider in your life. So when the counterfeit comes, the Antichrist comes, he's going to offer peace, prosperity. And by it, he will destroy many. So he'll come forth riding. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3, though, tells me that it is God who comes forth and rides the horse in wrath and judgment. So it's really an interesting thing to see that God is the one who rides the horses but yet they symbolize certain aspects that will be seen in the natural realm. Okay? You, for, you reject the covenant. White horse rider. Bow in the hand. Symbolic of the covenant. You reject that covenant. God rides forth to enforce the covenant in the first horse. Revelation 6 verse 3 and 4. Now it's a red horse. He's executing those who did not walk in the covenant. Who did not walk in the word. Leviticus 26 talks about. He would use a sword. Concerning the quarrel of the covenant. So he's going to come forth and ride forth. And everybody who doesn't walk in that covenant. That is offered in the first white horse rider. Then he comes in judgment. Not only will there be a slain of the wicked. But there will be a martyrdom of the believer. So what you have pictured here in this rider on the red horse is worldwide, or not just, uh, well, persecution. Let me put it this way. 
persecution on the church, death to the body of Christ, judgment upon the wicked. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? The Antichrist's lie of peace is being taken away. And now we have war, symbolic of the sword. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Let me see if I can show you when this is happening. Daniel chapter 11. I think I've got two minutes left. Daniel chapter 11. And verse 33. He that understandeth among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword. These are the faithful remnant of God. It says they shall fall by the sword. Revelation 6, 3 and 4. The rider on the red horse with a sword in his hand. They shall fall by the sword, by flame, by captivity, by spoil many days. This has a historical fulfillment. The days of Antiochus Epiphanes has a future fulfillment. Future fulfillment in the tribulation period. They shall fall by the sword. Those that understand. Get that? There's that sword. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. Got to watch that flattering tongue. I'm telling you, man, it's going to surprise people. Those that flatter you, that talk well, or you're going to be the ones that betray you. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself, magnify himself by every god, shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. You see that? For that it shall prosper until the indignation be accomplished. For that, that is determined, shall be done. And so you look at that seven-year tribulation period, and you say, how can they say peace and safety in that time frame just before the day of the Lord? Because the Bible says this writer or this person here in Daniel 11, the king of the north, is going to prosper until the indignation be overpassed. It's going to be a counterfeit peace. You see what I'm saying? And even at the end of the tribulation period, when the two witnesses are slain, the people in the world are celebrating their death thinking they have peace now because those prophets who prophesied the word of God that tormented them with the word of God that troubled them with the word of God are now dead so now they claim to have peace and that's all the way to the end of the tribulation period so it's, it's, a, it's a hoped for kind of peace but not they don't have true peace because God is not there got it? I think you do so this king of the north who is this king of the north? Number one, this can be maybe, maybe interpreted to be the Antichrist, that, that verse I just read to you, or another king, the king of the north, which would be a, a Babylonian king or an Assyrian king, possibly could be linked to a Russian king. But let's, let's deal with this, okay? Because I'm going to try to show you the events of this writer in the ultimate sense. The Bible goes on and it tells us here, uh, but in his estate, verse 38, he shall honor the God of forces and a God of whom the fathers knew not. Shall he honor with gold and silver, with precious stones, pleasant things? Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. He shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. You get that? Divide the land for gain. Verse 30. 
For the ships of Kittim shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. This king of the north here is going to have a secret council with those who claim to be keepers of the covenant. But they will betray the covenant. Just as Judas betrayed the covenant in the days of Jesus. Just as Judas took the prince of peace from the earth. This future antichrist or this future king of the north. Could be two different individuals here. Is going to enter into a secret council with those uh, that at one time claimed to be in covenant. But they're going to betray the covenant. They're going to forsake the holy covenant. You got it? The perdition. They're, they're sons of perdition. They're just like Judas. Now, we have this war that's going to break out. Let's look at the details if we can. Verse 40. At the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him? Who's him? And this passage is definitely the Antichrist. We're going to push at him. The king of the south is Egypt. And the king of the north. There's that king of the north. Uh, in this passage, it's Syria. Ultimately, it will Syria, praise God, ultimately it could be Babylon. Could be Syria. Uh, but anyway, it's the king of the north, a Babylonian king, possibly. Shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots. Because in the times this passage was written, the king of the north is a Syrian king. He's over the, in the area of Babylon. So it says the king of the south is going to push at him. That's the Egyptian king is going to push at him. The king of the north is going to push at him. And in this day, again, the king of the north is linked to Babylon. Syria. Okay. And then it goes on and it says this right here. He shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also the glorious land. Are you with me here? We're talking about the Antichrist here. He's going to enter into the, to Israel, the promised land. Okay. He shall stretch forth his hand. Let me back up. He shall enter also the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab. This is Jordan, modern-day Jordan. And the chief of the children of Ammon. It's linked to Jordan. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. The Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury, destroy another. So what's happening is the Antichrist, it shows his movement here. The king of the south Egypt is going to push at him. The king of the north is going to push at the Antichrist. The Bible talks about <clears throat> that he is going to continue to conquer. He's going to move into the promised land. But he's going to continue to go into Egypt. He's going to loot Egypt. Take the loot of Egypt. He's going to go back into the promised land and set up his his throne there in Israel. Are you with me up to this point? At the same time, though, there seems to be a connection between the king of the north and the Antichrist. Praise God. You've got two rulers going on here at the same time. What I'm trying to say is this, that I don't necessarily believe that everything you see happening in Babylon is the end of the story. Once America gets through the Babylon, it could be that that thing rises up back as a power with a leader in that region true babylon that's going to be involved with the antichrist here in these movements you understand 
My whole point in showing you this is, this, I believe, takes place at the beginning or in, in this Revelation 6, 2, 3 passage where the rider on the red horse goes forth at the beginning of the tribulation period. I believe that's when these events are happening. Now, how it all happens, I'm not sure, okay? I've been studying it for 22 years and still don't understand it. So I don't know how it's all going to come to pass, all right, other than what it says here. Take the basics there. What about Ezekiel 38? Ezekiel 38. Well, the Bible talks about when the Lord comes, He's going to come with a sword. Even Ezekiel 38, that's a Russian invasion into the Middle East. I don't believe necessarily that Daniel 11 is, that, is the same time as the Russian invasion. Okay? Anyway, I, I'm going to go on because I, I can see that I'm losing you. Anyway, it's not going to do me any good to spend a lot of time on this. But I'm just trying to show you that there's different wars in the tribulation period. And I believe this Daniel 11 passage fits in the beginning part of the tribulation period. Whereas the Ezekiel passage goes, it's, it's further into the tribulation period. Okay? And, and the reason why uh, is because of the timing. And then there's the battle of Armageddon that's at the end of the tribulation period. So there's great war that takes place all the way through the tribulation period. Okay. I think I'll leave that. Go with me back to Revelation 6, and I'm going to close. There is going to be great, great war associated with the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th tribulation period. Rider on the red horse is going to go forth, take peace from the earth in a literal sense, in an ultimate sense. And there's going to be great martyrdom, great persecution upon the church. It's going to come. It's going to happen. Okay? There are people who are going to betray the covenants. There are people who are going to be sons of perdition. Not going to walk with God. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, when, because iniquity shall abound, of a many shall go cold. I'm telling you, if you can't live for him now, there's no way you'll live for him now. There's no way. If, if you're playing games with him now, Lord help me. I'm just going to be honest with some of you. But my wife had a question. She said, well, where was so-and-so Wednesday night? I said, I don't know, but they're on their way out. That doesn't mean I'm going to ask them to leave. I'm, I'm telling you, they're not rooted and grounded in the things of God. If you don't get rooted and grounded in the things of God right now, you're on your way out. You will not make it. There are already signs of your betrayal. There are already signs of your iniquity. Now, Pastor, why don't you encourage me? How about I just give you the truth of the Word of God? I'm telling you, you can't play games with this. The Lord's going to come in with a sword, man. He's going to take peace from your earth. The only true peace you're going to find is in God. You cannot be playing around with God. Missing church, don't tell the pastor where you are. Could care less. You're not going to make it. You're on your way out. You backslide on the pew before you ever backslide to the wall. Hear me. I've seen him sit on the pew cold, cold as a popsicle, man. Knowing they're on their way out. And so are some of you right now. Not because I want you to. I preach the word of God to you. You're just backslid on the pew, man. And, and here's the thing about it. The thing about that spirit. And I'm going to close here. And I'm going to do that constellation. I'll be done. Here's the thing about that spirit. Okay? 
is it will rise up in the invisible world and it will challenge the man of God. And it will come and it will say, why don't he say anything to me? He says thanks to everybody else, but why don't he say anything to me? Why don't he confront me? He must be afraid of me. Can I tell you why I don't say some things to some of you? Because some of you have got some other godly person that's in this church. If I say something to you, you could cause hell for them. It's not because I'm afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anybody. And I'm not afraid of any spirit. So you better get over it, honey. It just happens to me that I have enough grace and compassion in my heart for somebody that lives for God in your family. That's why I hadn't said anything to you. I jump right in your face. Some of you act the way you act. I jump right in some of your face. Say, man, you need to get out of here. But I can't do that because you're connected with, with somebody that's in the church. So don't stroke your ego. This happens that God's merciful and compassionate and kind and loving and gives you time. To repent, space to repent. Space to repent is not license to do your thing. Space to repent is not God saying, you're okay. Let me close. Praise the Lord God. And leave this on the tape. Don't edit it. (laughs) I'm going, I'm untoward concerning the world right now. I don't fit. I don't fit, man. Don't fit. Don't fit. Revelation 6. So, in closing, in conclusion. Rider on the red horse comes forth, called forth by the ox. It's interesting to me that the ox in the Old Testament is translated many times as unicorn. The Septuagint translators translated this, this reem, the Hebrew word reem, reem, or English sometimes translated ox. In your King James Version, it was translated unicorn, monoceros. They got it from the Septuagint Bible, okay? Uh, when you talk about the ox, then, it, it, it should be a wild ox. It's not the ox that you think about. It's this, this urach, this large 12-foot long, 7-feet-high ox that's extinct, Okay, but there is a constellation called Taurus that is linked to this. It is the ox, Taurus. Woo! And when you see Taurus, you see him from the side view. He looks like a unicorn. So there are two horns, but they look like unicorns. Anyway, one corn. But the translators called them Rams, the oxes. Ram, they called them unicorns. Now, what is the connection here? Well, when you see this rider go forth, it is war. Hmm. It's really God's war against Antichrist and the world, Christ-rejecting world. Okay? At the same time, because of the great conflict that's going on, the saints are going to be slain by the Antichrist. Here's the connection with the unicorn. Go to Psalm 22. When Jesus hung on the cross... Remember, this writer's called forth by the ox. Psalm 22. I've got to hurry. 
Psalm 22. Here's what Jesus says. Jewish scholarship even believes that Gog, Gog was standing at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Ezekiel 38 talks about that future Russian invasion into the Middle East. Calls him Gog. So they saw Gog that's going to have, uh, invade in the future at the cross. Just trying to show you that prophecy is very vast. When you talk about it in the second millennium in history, God came and took peace from the earth by way of a flood. In the second millennium of history, He confounded the languages of those that tried to build a kingdom without Him, took peace from their life. Do you understand this? When Jesus came, I'm, trying, I'm linking it to peace. He's coming to take peace from the earth. It's the second seal, second millennium, peace taken away. In Jesus' day, Judas Iscariot entered into a secret council, secret chamber with those who should have been keeping the covenants and betrayed the covenant, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, sold him that the Prince of Peace could be removed from the earth. You hear me? And he did it with red money or blood money. Rider on the red horse. And Judas Iscariot was called in John 17, the son of perdition. So when we talk about this, we're talking about something very large. Very large. Psalm 22, verse 19. But be not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling. Look at that. Deliver my soul from the sword. There's that sword. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Watch this. See, I'm trying to show you here the book of Revelation. The rider on the white horse, true white horse rider, Jesus. But there's an alternative, false Christ. Jesus is the true lion of the tribe of Judah. Alternative, the roaring lion, Satan. Jesus is the true Taurus, the true ox, the true unicorn. Alternative teaching. Antichrist, counterfeit, unicorn, counterfeit, ox. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. So the Lord shows us that the lion was there, Satan was there at the cross. He shows us that the unicorn was there. The ox was there. But now this unicorn is Satan and those that were with him in the crucifixion of Jesus. Including Judas Iscariot who is a type of the Antichrist to come. So there's two aspects, two sides to the story of the, the lion and the unicorn. Taurus, the ox. Let me give it to you. When you talk about the unicorn and the lion, the story goes that a virgin lures the unicorn to her. She's standing behind a tree. The unicorn runs over there, and the unicorn being Messiah, the virgin be in the church. Watch this. But here's the story. 
a fair young virgin standing behind a tree. A unicorn runs to her as this young virgin allures the unicorn to her. And he sticks his horn in the tree. And at that time, watch this, the hunters and the dogs are there at the tree. That's the story of the unicorn or Taurus. Now, what am I showing you here? Is that be the unicorn is Jesus. He is Taurus. The Greek word Taurus. He is the unicorn. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay. He's the true Christ of God. He's the true unicorn. And he's, he goes over and he is captured in a tree for a virgin or for the church. The hunters that are there and the dogs that are there are Satan and his emissaries at the foot of the cross slaying the unicorn slaying the Messiah he died for the virgin but the dogs the lion the lion and are you with me? The lion was there. The enemy was there. The alternative view is this. He is, Jesus is the true Christ who died for the, vir died for the virgin on the tree. With Satan and his hordes there. Also, the lion, it says that the mouth, delivering from the mouth's lion... It is seen in that story, when you, when you study the story of the unicorn, that the lion, when the unicorn is trapped in the tree, the lion jumps on the unicorn and kills it at that time. Okay? Here's the point. There's so many facets to it. It can go different directions. Okay? It can also be seen that the unicorn now is now a symbol of Satan. It is a symbol of Satan even in the Bible. Because Jesus hanging on the cross says, Deliver me from the horns of the unicorn. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he is literally being slain there, ripped apart by the unicorn. My point is this, okay? Is that Jesus is the true unicorn, trapped in the tree, dies for the virgin, slain by the hunters and those that are with him. Okay. It can also be seen an alternative view is that the unicorn is the Antichrist or in the days of Jesus, Judas Iscariot and those who betrayed him and crucified him on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he, the true lion of Judah, slew that unicorn, slew his enemy, slew Satan will eventually destroy the Antichrist and take the dominion of Satan away from him. They being pinned to the cross, defeated at the cross at the time of his death. He's the true line of the tribe of Judah. So it's interesting to me that when we see these riders coming forth, it's called forth by the ox, but there's great conflict that's taking place between the true Christ, the true Christ, and the false Christ. In Jesus' day, Jesus Christ is crucifixion. Judas Iscariot 
and the false prophet and false the antichrist were there in his day at the cross high priest so called high priest were there Judas betrayed him the son of perdition with me here in the future the true let me give you some scripture Psalm 91 I believe let me make sure hmm might be taking this too far What did I say? What did I say the verse was? I don't. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Bless your heart. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. This is the Messiah saying that he is the unicorn. That his horn will be exalted like the unicorn. In Psalm 22, it's, he's seen crucified between the horns of the unicorn. So one instant, he is the unicorn, the true unicorn. In another instant, we have the Antichrist or that spirit of Antichrist at the cross called the unicorn. So it's both ways. You have the true and the false. Just as you have the true white horse rider and the false white horse rider. Go with me to Micah. Micah. Boy, I'm really going to have to have help right now on this. Micah. Micah's and Micah. Okay. Got to get the verse for you. Verse 13. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thy horn iron and will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will con consecrate their grain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Now God likens his church to the unicorn. He said, I want to make your horn like iron. It's connected to the unicorn. And they're going to come forth like the unicorn threshing. Isaiah 34. I'm going to try my best to clarify this for you. Isaiah 34. Okay. Verse 3. Their slain also shall be cast out. Their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. The mountains shall be meted with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off of the vine. And as the falling of the fig, fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven behold it shall come down upon Adumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment the sword of the Lord is filled with blood the sword of the Lord is filled with blood the sword of the Lord is filled with blood it is made fat with fatness and with the blood of the lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams for the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Ijumea. And the unicorns shall come down with them. So we see here the Lord coming forth as the true unicorn, threshing, trampling down with a sword. He defeats 
the false unicorns, the Antichrist, and all those people who have betrayed the covenant. Do you understand that? Let me share this with you. Going back to the virgin story, who allures the true unicorn, the Messiah, into the tree and dies there with the hunters around. That's at the cross. Taurus. Taurus has seven daughters in its shoulders called the Pleiades. Okay? So we see the daughters of the king there in this unicorn. And the daughters of the king in Micah chapter 4 are seen having a horn tipped with brass. Okay? What am I showing you is this, is that what is true of him has become true of her. Okay? In this story, in this, we'll call it, it's a fable. In this fable of the unicorn. The sun is likened to a lion and the moon is likened to the unicorn. In the word of God, the sun is God, the Lord. He's going to come as the son of righteousness with healing in his rays, Malachi 4. But the moon, Song of Solomon lets us know the moon depicts his bride. In the fable, not only, listen, do we have Messiah, the true unicorn, trapped in the tree for the virgin, but we also understand that she is the moon, and they called the moon the unicorn. So that is what is true of him is going to become true of the church. That's why she's seen, seen threshing out as a unicorn with a horn tipped with iron in the future in the tribulation period. All right? The false son, God, will be defeated. The false unicorn antichrist will be destroyed. The false lion will be slain by the true lion, true unicorn, true S-O-N, S-U-N. Along with, along with the unicorn church, the bride of Christ, threshing out, used by him in the last days. It's going to be a great conflict that takes place. You with me? Great conflict. And some of us are tasting it right now spiritually. It will ultimately become fulfilled naturally and physically. I don't know if it's this day that I'm living in. I don't know. I may die and go to the grave. You may die and go to the grave and never see the seven-year tribulation period. But I am telling you, it's all through the Bible. It's great conflict. And only peace you're ever going to find is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that died for the virgins. He's the one that died for the Pleiades, the seven daughters of the king. Now watch this. Watch this. Even in this constellation story, it lays it out. Taurus, the unicorn, riding forth the ram, riding forth. Seven daughters in his shoulder. Okay? With me here? Has some constellations under it called deacons the first constellation under the unicorn Taurus which depicts Jesus Christ coming okay that first deacon underneath him is Orion is called light the man of light I'm up here not on the ground I 
I don't even know how I got to become a pastor, man. I don't have a pastor's heart. I... Underneath Orion, the man of light, he's got a sword. The sword has the head of a lion, the head and body of a lion. He has in his left hand. Left, left. He has, Orion has in his left hand a roaring lion skin. So that the true unicorn has defeated the roaring lion. It's all laid out, even in the heavens. Roaring lion. Orion is seen with his foot on the top of the head of his enemies. And to Christ's head crushed, Satan's head crushed. Left hand, roaring lion, sword, lamb, and body. A head and body of a lamb, that sword. Okay? Another deacon with it is the river. The river. Underneath Taurus, you have the river. The river is seen in Egyptian constellation studies as coming out of the urn of Aquarius. And it's a river of fire. Go with me to Numbers 23. Numbers 23. It's all connected. I'm not doing a very good job in giving you understanding, but I'm trying to at least give you a taste of it. Numbers 23. It's all connected. Praise the Lord. Okay, are y'all with me still? Praise God. 23. Well, let me just go to chapter 24, all right? Is it 22 of 23? Okay, God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. So then God is likened to a unicorn there. Got it? I'm not completely crazy. Numbers 24. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantment, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel abiding in his tents. According to their tribes, the Spirit of God came upon him. He took up this parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, the man whose eyes are open hath said, he has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the visions of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, thy tabernacles, O Israel. As the valleys are they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of lime alloys which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters, he shall pour the water out of his buckets. And his seed shall be many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. So there we see Taurus linked with the river. Okay? The unicorn linked with the river. It's in the heavens. Daniel chapter 7, it talks about a fiery stream issued forth from his throne. Comes forth from him. And that, with that fiery stream, he destroys the wicked. Okay? Daniel 7. The third deacon in the constellation is the shepherd. The shepherd is seen carrying a he-goat that has just given birth to Lance. 
And that shepherd, that he goes, speaks of the atonement. That shepherd is a wounded shepherd who's coming back. And that's how the seven daughters of the Pleiades, the seven daughters of the king, are found located in Taurus, is by the finished work of the cross, by his defeat of the lion. He purchased the virgin when he hung in the tree. He destroyed the lion when he hung in the tree. Are you with me here? A fiery stream issued forth from him at that time. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cut off, something like that. Okay? I'm just trying to show you how it's fulfilled. You go on down there and you see that river flowing out. You see it's coming out of Aquarius. It's linked to the unicorn. It goes over there and it shows you the shepherd being wounded in the atonement with the goat, the she-goat in his arm. There's nothing like the Word of God, my friend. And so having said all of that, I'm just showing you Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. The ox, the servant of the ox, the sword, how it comes and takes peace from your earth right now, how that it will be ultimately fulfilled, how it was fulfilled at the time of the cross, how it's linked to the constellation Taurus. All of that is seen in Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. That's how awesome God's Word is. Nothing like it. Let's stand. What is true of Him shall be true of His people. And I thank You today, Lord God, that Your people are here today. And Father, that You will. Whatever process, whatever is necessary, whatever is needed. If peace needs to be taken from our life, You'll do that. If we need to be martyred, if we need to be slain by that sword. If we are to be persecuted in the future, God, it will not be a waste. But that blood that will be poured out at the foot of the altar will be a, a testimony of the sacrifice and worship of the people of God. I love you today in Jesus' awesome name. I pray, take this word, God, and speak to the hearts of many, many people through it. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed, okay? Turn the cameras off if you want to.